I hope uh, you're not too disappointed. Uh, I know that you were expecting to see Pastor Bob and his ruddy appearance and his uh, great sense of humor and his tremendous insights into the Word of God. And I hope I don't disappoint you too much today, but they have asked me to finish the series that Pastor Bob began on a cruise through the book of Matthew from Advent to Easter. So I have the privilege of closing off this part of of, uh, the series of messages, and we will be in the book of Matthew, the 28th chapter. We'll be looking at verses 16 through 20. Before we begin our passage, though, we need to back up just a little bit. From our perspective, we're a week past Easter. But put yourself in the disciples' position, if you would. And let me pause for just a moment to ask for God's help as we share from his word this morning. Father, we pause once again to recognize you as the one who provides every good gift. Every perfect thing comes from your hand. And today, as we look into your perfect word and draw strength and help from it, we would ask for your spirit to work in each of our hearts and our lives. For we commit our time to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's begin by looking at the disciples' perspective. The long-awaited Messiah has arrived. He has come and he has spent the last three years verifying the truths that he, he is the one. Prophesy, prophecy was fulfilled in his life, in his experiences, in his activities. Miracles were performed that only God could do. In fact, in the book of John and the third gospel... Nicodemus came to Jesus, one of the rulers who at this point in time was still one of the enemies of Christ. He came to Christ and we say, he said to Jesus, We know that you are a man that has been sent from God, for no man can do the miracles that you've been doing except God be with him. You see, they knew who he was. He had the credentials. He had the verification. The problem, however, was not that they didn't know, is not that they didn't understand. The problem is they didn't want what God was offering them. The leaders of Israel rejected the Messiah that God had provided. And they convinced the people to support them. And as a result, they put to death 
the one person in all of the universe that God had sent to meet the need of mankind to provide a savior for the world. Yes, Jesus rose from the dead. He was victorious over the grave. But what now? What now? What's going to happen now? Is God's plan thrown out the window because his people rejected his Messiah? And now that Jesus is alive again, will will he bring punishment and retribution? Will he judge those who treated him so despicably on the cross? Does God have a plan B? So, what happens now? Lurking in the shadows, behind the scenes, out of sight, Satan is rejoicing at his unexpected victory. Since the day that he was created by God until that very day, he had never seen God the Son so vulnerable as when he set aside his glory and he assumed the form of a weak and a frail man and he voluntarily set aside the use of the attributes that he had as God, and he became a man. He had never been so vulnerable. He had never been so weak in all of eternity. And Satan knew that this was his opportunity. Satan knew that now was his chance to work the plan that he had been scheming and forming since the day that he had fallen from grace. What would happen if he, Satan, could get God's chosen people to reject their Messiah? What would happen to God's whole plan, his marvelous plan for redeeming mankind, what would happen if he could get mankind to treat God's son so badly, to reject him so thoroughly that God would have to abandon the plan that he had to redeem mankind? Perhaps even bring God to the point of having to destroy mankind himself. Oh, it was all too easy for Satan to use man's vulnerabilities against him. He'd had lots of practice. Man's lust for power is easily corrupted. 
his jealousy of others is obvious to all. Man's greed for the possessions and things that other people have, all of these things are so easily manipulated by Satan. And he used them to bring about the desired end that he had. Mankind is completely and fully responsible for what they did to Jesus, their Messiah. But my friends, Satan and his minions are the behind-the-scenes instigators of rebellion. They are the agitators that make it impossible even today for mankind to get along with one another. After all, after so many years, thousands of years, we still cannot seem to get along with each other, let alone neighbors, let alone other nations. Why is that the case? It's because Satan is real. And he's working against God's uh, will and purposes even today. He works in our lives. Satan was completely successful. His plan had worked better than he had even hoped. Mankind rejected their Messiah and put to death the only Savior. Now God would have to destroy mankind. Satan was besides himself with joy. But we all know that the grave could not hold the Son of the living God. After all, he was the creator of death and hell. And he's the one that had the keys. He had the combination for the lock. And death could not hold him. I don't know if Satan really believed that he had destroyed the Son of God, or I don't know if maybe he just thought that he had been able to put a monkey wrench in God's plans, but I do know this. God rose from the dead, proving he really was who he said he was. The grave could not hold him. And because of that, God did not need a plan B. You see, all along, God was fully aware of mankind's ability to do evil. He was completely and thoroughly knowledgeable of Satan's plan from the very beginning. And what seemed to be a complete overthrow of God by mankind, an absolute victory for Satan in destroying the Savior, God used to accomplish the very plan that they were trying to destroy. What an amazing God that we have that can even use the worst that man has to offer 
to bring about the best thing that could ever happen to any of us. Yes, judgment will come because prophecy tells us, but also because even the patience of an infinite God can be exhausted. And God will come and judge the world. The book of Revelation tells us the specifics that are involved. But until that time, God set aside the nation Israel. And if we go back to the book of Daniel and we read the prophecy in chapter 9 that talks about the 70 weeks, the 149 years that God had determined for Israel, we find the prophecy tells us that after all but the last seven years of that 149 years, that Messiah would be cut off. And it's at this point in time that God sets aside the nation Israel and introduces the church. He spoke about the church earlier in the book of Matthew in the 16th chapter, and he tells us there that Jesus Christ, he himself, the Lord of the church, is going to build his church. Now it's time to actually initiate it. And so he gathers his disciples. We'll see that in our text in just a moment. He gives them instruction, and then he tells them to wait in Jerusalem until they receive God's ordained power for service. And then they were to go. So we find that we are asking the question, so what now? What now is God going to do? Matthew chapter 28, beginning at verse 16. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always even to the end of the age. I have this morning three questions that I would like to ask of the church of God. But before I ask those questions, I have to, I have to get an answer from you, really. What is the church of God? My friends, it's not the building that we are in. It's not the programs that we conduct. The church of God are the people of God. It's you and it's me. We are the church of God. 
And so when I'm asking this question, these questions, I'm asking us. I'm talking to us. This is a little family meeting that we're having here this morning. You see, Jesus is the head of the church, and we are his living body, working out his progress, working out his will in the world that we so rudely kicked him out of. He now is going to use you and I. We are his body in the world. And the scripture also tells us that we are his bride, one that he will come to receive unto himself one day. But until that day, he has left us here that we might prepare ourselves for him. And we prepare ourselves by the service that we perform on his behalf. And so the first question that I would like to ask you, the church, from our text this morning is this. Are you available? Are you available? Verse 16, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. See, Galilee was at least some 50 miles north of Jerusalem where the disciples were. And we don't know the mountain to which he directed them, but it had to be at least a 50-mile walk. When was the last time you took a 50-mile walk? I mean, he was not asking an insignificant thing here of the disciples. And they had a choice. They could have said, well, you know, I kind of like it in Jerusalem. Or, you know, maybe it's pretty hot here in Jerusalem. I would like to get out. But they had a pretty significant trip to make. He asked them something that was not easy. It's, it was doable. It was a three to five day walk, depending on how ambitious you were. But that would be a pretty ambitious walk. It's one they had done before. They had done it several times with the Lord. They knew they could do it. And they knew that he would be waiting for them when they got there. But they still had to decide, I'm going to go. Are you available? If God was to call you, maybe, for instance, he would call us and say, I would like for us to take a three- to five-day trip in our automobile to New York City, and I would like for you to go to New York City to serve me. I want you to pay your own expenses. I want you to make your own way. I want you to support yourself while you're there, but I want you to accomplish the work that I have called you to do while you're there. Would you go? Are you available? You see, that's the real question. He has promised to help us. But the real question is, are we available? Are we willing to go? The disciples went. 
But the question that we have to ask is, are we willing to go? If we went back to Matthew chapter 13, we find the parable of the sower. You should be familiar with it. I'm not going to read it, but let me just pull some inserts out of it. All right. There are four groups of people that Jesus mentions in this parable of the sower. Jesus was sowing seed, and he said the seed of the gospel falls on four different kinds of ground. The first one is hard ground, he tells us. Hard ground, the ravens come and snatch away the seed before it can ever sprout. Those are the hard-hearted people that hear the gospel, and the gospel makes absolutely no impact in their lives. They just go their way as if nothing has ever happened. The second group of people are illustrated by the rocky ground or the shallow soil. And we find that the gospel is sown there and it sprouts. But because there's no depth in the soil, it withers away very quickly. And so this illustrates the fact that there's people, perhaps some in this church, who have heard the gospel and, and have responded to the gospel. They want their fire insurance, if you will. See, we don't like the alternative of going to hell, but, you know, heaven is a long way off yet. I kind of want to live my own life. I want to do my own thing, maybe. And so they've responded to the gospel, but they're not willing to give their life to Christ. And so when the heat is turned up just a little bit, they disappear. You don't see them. They fade away. The third group, that is the seed that falls in good soil, but it's sown among thorns and thistles. And Jesus tells us that these are the cares of life. And among God's people, we too can get drawn into the activities and the responsibilities of life. We're raising families. We have to support ourselves. We have we have to take care of things, you know. We've got work to do. And the cares of the world prevent us from doing the work that God has for us to do. And as a result of that, we are unavailable. And only the fourth group, that which falls on good ground and bears fruit. Only that group gives any return whatsoever to the Lord of the harvest, to the sower of seed. Which one of these four are you? You are represented in there among those four. And we find that at the very least, 75% of the people were unavailable. Probably far more than that. Which are you? Are you available 
If God was to call you, could you go? If you couldn't go, would you be willing to support a son or a daughter or maybe a grandson or granddaughter who's called? Would you be willing to allow them to go or would you be an obstacle to their answering the call of God in their lives? That brings me to the second question. The second question is this, are you responsible? If we are available, which I'm just going to assume for the moment that all of us are, the second question is, are you responsible? Look at the next two verses, verse 18. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. This is his instruction to the church. This is the work that he's called the church to do. The question is, are you responsible? Are you willing to look at this passage and say, this is God's instruction to me? What it doesn't mean is that all of us need to go to a foreign country. That's not what he's saying. After all, if we all went over there, then some of them would all have to come over here. And we're just switching places, and nothing really is accomplished for God. What he's saying is that the church... His body is responsible to represent Him throughout the entire world. So every place there are people, if there's a settlement, if people are living there, God said that's a place where His people need to go. And if you cannot go, are you willing to support those who can go and do go. Are you involved in kingdom work? My friends, it doesn't matter your age or even your physical condition. It doesn't matter if you know various languages or not. The issue is, are you available to God? Will you let God use you in whatever capacity to support the work that he has to accomplish? Maybe it's translation work. Maybe it's supporting missionaries through aircraft or a computer or tech- technology some way so they can get their work done where they are. Maybe you can serve the Lord right here in your home today in some way. But the question is, are you responsible to take the truths and apply them to you? See, it's not my responsibility to tell you exactly what God wants you to do. I wish it was that easy. I have quite a list, by the way. The reality is, is you have to sit down with God 
and find out where God wants you to serve, what he wants you to do, how he wants you to give, how you are to support his work where you are right here today. Maybe you can't go around the world, but you are here. And this church has several outreach ministries. You can support them. You can be involved. Are you involved? Everyone should have a ministry that they are involved in. And if you're not, then you're not fulfilling the responsibility that God has called us to. And finally, the last question found in the very last phrase of verse 20. Are you empowered? Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Are you empowered? Before you can become empowered, it's important for you to realize that you and I need to be available first. And we need to be responsible second. And only as those two precursors are true in our lives, only then do we experience the power of God in our lives. It's only then do we see God actually work miracles on your behalf, in your situation, in what's going on in your world. It's only then that God stands up and he joins us in the work that he's called us to do. And it's only then do we see and experience firsthand the reality of God with us. in our service and work. Have you experienced God's power in your life? Maybe it's because you're not available or maybe you haven't been responsible. His instruction is clear. There's much more that we could talk about. Books have been written on these few verses. And I have been speaking to you this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ, as the body of Christ, as the church. But perhaps, perhaps there's one of you who don't really know Jesus as Lord yet. You may know about him. You may know the stories. You may know what Jesus has done. And the interesting thing is that even the demons knew who Jesus was and what he had come to do, but they were not saved. You see, the information is not sufficient. There has to be action on your part. Has there been a time when you personally have surrendered your life to Christ you have submitted your will to God's will and say Lord I'm willing to surrender my life to you this is no longer my life to live but yours to do with as you see fit 
If you haven't done that, I invite you to do so. And I or the elders, some of the elders will be up here. We would be happy to talk to you about that commitment. But I assume that most of us here today are brothers and sisters in Christ. And the question is, so what now? What are you going to do with this information? How are you going to respond to God's call service to you on your life? See, God's call of service is to every Christian. You cannot be a Christian incognito. There's no Christians that sit in the stands and watch the game. God expects us all to be involved in some way. Are you? If you're not involved, you're being disobedient and you're living in sin. Confess it and surrender your will to his. Young person today, we've got some fine young men and young women sitting here among us. Perhaps God would like to use you to be one of those people that goes to some far country. I pray that you will surrender your will to his and to serve him with all of your strength that you might experience personally what it means to have God come alongside and be with you. Parents, Perhaps God is calling one of your children, if not you and your wife or your husband, to go. Would you be willing to let them go? Would you support them in those decisions? Would you be a hindrance or help? How about those of us who are peaking, really, in our lives, okay? How about those of us who are older? We've, we've experienced some of that. Maybe we're retired or semi-retired or partially retired or coming up on retirement. What are your plans for the rest of your life? You might be amazed at what God can do with your life surrendered to him. How he might use you to accomplish kingdom work and kingdom purposes. The question is really, so what now? Let's pray. Father, your word is powerful. Your truth is available. Your spirit is at work. And your people have heard. We ask now, that you'd help us to respond, that you would be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.